Matthew 16, verse number 23, let's stand and read this one verse. There's a phrase in this verse that I want to use for my last message of this year and um, hopefully a challenging message for the upcoming year. Matthew 16 and verse number 23, this is Jesus speaking. It says, but he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. I can't imagine, I mean, I've had people that I've offended before, but for Jesus to say, you're an offense to me, that's pretty serious business there. And the Lord goes on to say, he says, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. The things of God, obviously, the Lord is saying we need to savor the things that are of God. And what I want to speak to you this morning is things for more in 2024. Obviously, they need to be the things of God, and we'll say more about that here in just a moment. But first, let's pray and ask that the Lord would bless this message this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the help of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for these that have come here today, for these that are uh, viewing on live stream Lord, speak to our hearts here today, encourage us, and challenge us, and strengthen us for the upcoming year. We pray, Father, that if anyone uh, is here today listening that's without Jesus Christ, God, would you speak to their heart? Lord, uh, let them get saved before they enter the new year. May the last day of this year be the day of days for them. What a blessing and a joy that would be. We pray that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts today, in Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I thought about what the Lord is saying to Peter, thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And I thought how that Peter would have been a very good American. Peter was a man of dreams and ambition. He was driven. He was confident. He was a natural leader. All the things that are valued in American culture. He had a taste for things that were good. He desired that Jesus would be the king. He desired that Jesus would rescue the Jews, their nation, from the Roman occupation. Deliver us from our captors. Free us up so that we can be what God intended for us to be. All good things. But the problem is the things he had a taste for were not the things of God. Good things, but not God things. I want to give you four things, and I use the word things very emphatically here this morning, uh, four things for more in 2024. The first one, number one, is I want to talk about things behind, things behind. Turn to the book of Philippians chapter number three with me. Philippians chapter number three, things that are behind. Look at what Paul said in Philippians three, beginning in verse number 12. He said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind 
and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said quite clearly, he said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. Paul had regrets. And one thing I know from experience is regrets can torture you. They can weigh you down and they can depress you. But that's not all that I, I don't believe that's all that Paul had in mind when he made that statement. We all have regrets. But what about wounds? Do you have some wounds? I think that everybody from time to time has to deal with wounds. And you know, folks, there's nothing wrong with licking your wounds. But I know from experience, being around dogs, that when dogs get obsessed with their wounds, they end up endangering their lives. Literally, dogs have, have destroyed their life just simply by being obsessed with licking their wounds. I can remember back in the early 80s, I'm still just a freshman and sophomore in high school. I lived in Weaverville, North Carolina. My brother-in-law, Dwayne Patton, had uh, rabbit hunting beagle dogs. And we had a handful of people in our church uh, there in Weaverville that were avid rabbit hunters. And I would go out rabbit hunting with them and we would, you know, for the most part, they would hunt rabbits and I would listen to the beagles run the rabbits. I, you know, I grew up hunting pheasants. I could, sh I could hit something with a shotgun if it was flying, but if it was running on the ground, I never got the knack of hitting a running rabbit. Now, I will say this, in all fairness, when those beagles are chasing a rabbit, that rabbit's moving pretty quick, and it's going all over the place. So I'll cut myself a little bit of slack. But some of these guys in the church, man, they could nail those rabbits with a 12-gauge even on a dead run. Well, these beagles were very, I mean, you talk about a, I love the beagles. They were great pets. I mean, they were just very docile and just loving and you would think that that beagle is going to be worthless as a hunting dog. But you get them on the scent of a rabbit, and I'm telling you what, they turn into monsters. You know, a little old cute beagle that just wants their tubby, tummy rubbed. And, you know, you get them around a rabbit, and they are vicious. Well, all these guys had, had beagles, and anytime I'd be around them, they'd be talking about their dogs. I didn't have any dogs, I just hung around people that did. But these dogs from time to time would get the mange. These guys would talk about how that they would get prescriptions from the vet and they wouldn't work. They'd give, give their dog, I guess the mange is some kind of a mite that they get in their skin. And those dogs will literally scratch and lick until they get infected and literally there have been dogs that have died from the mange. And they would talk about how that they would try this medicine and this shot and nothing seemed to work. And I remember when I was standing around talking with these rabbit hunters, this one guy said, I know what works. Of course, everybody's like, what is that? And he said, uh, and, and some of you remember back in the day where some of these, um, where you get your oil chain service stations they would take all of the used oil and they would put it in a 55-gallon barrel. And when that barrel got full, they would haul it to a dirt driveway and just dump it. 
I know the environmentalists think that's it's probably the most horrible thing that they could do, but that's the way it was back then. Well, this guy said, uh, he said, what I do is when that, that barrel's pretty full, he said, I just grab my beagle by the back of the neck and I dunk it. Dunk it in that used motor oil and it comes out. No more mange. Now, I don't know if it gets rid of the mange or if it just means that that dog ain't licking or scratching nothing. I, I don't know. But they said that that works. What is my point in that? No idea. I just thought it was a good story. Oh, my point is this. There's nothing wrong with licking your wounds. But there comes a time where we got to get over it and we got to forget those things which are behind because you'll end up doing yourself more damage than the wound ever would have to begin with. Hebrews 12:13 says to make straight paths for our feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way but rather let it be healed. There comes a time in our life where we've got to let some healing take place. We can't keep mulling it over. We can't keep going over and over and over, nursing those grudges, licking those wounds. And so certainly Paul not only had regrets in mind, he probably was thinking about some wounds in the past that we needed to put those in the past and move on. But there's another thing. You've heard this statement before. Are you resting on your laurels? Are you resting on your laurels? If you're not familiar with that, I'm sure most of you are. The, the winners in Greek and Roman culture of any event, they would give them a crown made of leaves, and it was usually laurel leaves. You've seen the pictures. If you went to, went to a Greek restaurant, you usually see somebody that's got a crown of leaves on their head. The old original Olympics, that's what they would crown them with. Not a gold medal, but rather with a crown of laurels. But resting on your laurels, the cliche is so common because the condition is so common. In fact, Jesus warned about a successful man who got weary of the struggles of life. It was a man that was pretty wealthy, had some good crops, and he looked at all that he had and he said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all of these crops, all this bumper crop that I got, and I'm just going to build me some new barns, and I'm going to store all of this, and I'm going to take a break from all of the struggles of life, and I'm just going to take my ease and enjoy the fruits of my labor. And what did Jesus say of that man? He said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be which thou Hast provided. You know, the struggle of life, God put us here for a purpose. And I know that there comes a time where we need to retire. We can't do all of the things that we used to do, but let's not ever retire from serving God. You know, you can't do, I, I know some of you in this congregation that I've been here for 15 years, and I know that many of you, there are things that you used to do at Temple Baptist Church. And you can't do those anymore. And I know some of you that have a servant's heart and you've put so much of your time, I mean, your blood, sweat, and tears are at the foundation of Temple Baptist Church. 
And I know it's frustrating for you that you can't do the things that you used to do. I know on numerous occasions I've had to tell people, look, it is not what you do that brings value to this congregation anymore. It is who you are that brings value. The example, the spiritual energy, just being faithful, that in turn helps the other people that now it's their time to grab that baton and to run with it. You're setting an example of not quitting. I'm all for retirement and not doing everything that you used to do, but just don't ever quit on God. Don't feel like that there's a time in life where we just coast. You may not be able to do all that you used to do, but all of us should remember if God's got us here on this earth, if we're still breathing and we're still living, it doesn't matter what we can't do anymore God still wants us to do what we can do to accomplish his purpose in our life. Now, these things that Paul talked about that are behind, positive or negative, there are things in our past that are failures and guilts and regrets, wounds, and then there's also the positive things, the successes. But let me ask you a question Is there anything that happened five years ago that you can erase? Is there anything that happened five minutes ago that you can't erase? I said something during announcements that I'm wishing now I could erase it. (laughs) But I can't. If can't. If you can't undo it, then why not just go forward and forget those things which are behind? I I really think, folks, that one of the worst things that happened from the pandemic was not necessarily the loss of lives. And I mean no disrespect for those of you that have suffered the loss of a loved one. But perhaps the most devastating effect of COVID-19 was not the loss of lives or the loss of taste or the loss of smell or the loss of a healthy immune system, but rather perhaps the loss of motivation. That we all just, you know, we we had to coast for two years practically. The things that we should be doing or ought to be doing, we can't do anymore, and it just affected our entire culture. I've noticed since the pandemic that The quality of help and service in our community is in the toilet. Getting good help, getting good service, people taking care of doing a quality job. It's just ever since COVID, it has noticeably declined. And I think what happened is that just people got, they lost their motivation And they just started going through the motions. I was talking to a brother uh, just recently. And it's like, you know what? That happened to me. And I feel like 2023 that I have begun to overcome that. I haven't yet completely overcome that. I, I still have some things that will come up from time to time. Hey, why don't I do that anymore? Why don't we do that as a church anymore? We used to. Why'd we quit? Uh, covid How come we're not doing this anymore? Well, COVID. We had to stop it back then for obvious reasons, and we just 
haven't started it back up. Why haven't we started it back up? Because we forgot about it until just now. Out of sight, out of mind. Much of our lives have been, have been changed by that. What is the answer? Well, Paul has the answer. Move on. Forgetting those things which are behind. Don't let the past define you. Let it refine you. Made some mistakes? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Have you had some successes? Mm, Yeah. Not all of us are total losers. Sometimes we feel like a total loser, but you're not. You got some good things going on in your life. The devil just doesn't want you to see that or feel that. And then there's others that, you know what, you're not near as good as you think you are. Because you're looking at the past and those successes. Paul has the answer. Move on. Learn and press on. And so the first thing is uh, things behind. The second, number two, is things learned, things that we've learned. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 9. Paul says, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Listen, you have heard some things You have learned some things, you understand some things, and you've even seen others that have set an example of those things. I look around at this congregation, and I thank God, God has blessed this congregation with some really good godly examples. People who are faithful, who love God. Listen, there there are plenty of people out there that don't go to church or have quit on God because they say, oh, the church is just full of hypocrites. There's plenty of hypocrites in churches. But I can tell you right here that while we may have some hypocrites in this church, I'm looking around and I'm seeing some people right in front of my eyes that you're not hypocrites. You're not perfect. Paul even said, I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived. I haven't attained. I'm not there yet. But he said one thing, I'm forgetting that which is behind and I'm learning some things and I'm setting an example. And he says, the things that you've seen me do, he said, I want you to do those things. In 2 Timothy, oh, I wanted to say this, there is a responsibility in hearing and learning. The Lord talked about it. Uh, James talked about it. He said, be not hearers of the word only, but be doers. He said, don't be forgetful hearers. I know I'm preaching to some of you here this morning that you think as long as I hear it every now and then, I'm okay. If you're not doing anything about it, then you're not okay. Paul said that there are some things learned, and as we go into this new year, we're going to have to recognize that there is a responsibility. When we ignore the things that we've heard... Our ears get dull of hearing. Jesus warned of that. And our eyes become dim. Listen, it is a dangerous territory. There are some people that think that the the more I go to church, the better off that I am. And I would never diminish the value of church attendance. Never. But I will say this, that there are some people that maybe you've got a 
got a, a troubled person in your life, a troubled uh, son or a troubled relative, and they grew up in church, and they don't want to have anything to do with church. I mean, they really, their heart's not changed. And, and I know we have good intention. Well, if I could just get them into church, that'll change their life. Uh, it may. Once again, I'm not diminishing the value of church, and I am not discrediting the power of the Word of God. This book here says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I think that we always ought to be doing everything we can to get people that need the truth, get them in where they can hear the truth. But just so you don't get overly discouraged, there are some people that they have just rejected it. And they'll sit and they'll listen to it. It's, it's almost like, a, like Baptist penance. Yes. Yes. You know what, I'm, I'm not going to change what I'm doing, but if I just go every week and get a good gut full of guilt because the preacher, you know, preached and made me feel bad, then it's like I did my penance and now I can go out and keep doing what I've done. Right. You know, it doesn't matter what you label it. The human heart is the same. So the things that we've learned, we need to start doing something about it. 2 Timothy 2, verse number 2, Paul said, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. We're supposed to duplicate ourselves. You know, I, I teach this to all of our leaders in the church, that if you're a leader, you need to take ownership of your ministry. When I say take ownership, that means you are saying, I am responsible. I'm not going to depend on somebody to tell me every move to make. I am going to treat, treat my ministry the way that I would treat my valuable possessions. I'm going to maintain it. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to make sure that things are going the way that they ought to go. You ought to take ownership, but never be possessive. Churches are filled with dogs in the manger. You ever heard about dogs in the manger? Well, the dogs in the manger where the hay is, and the cow comes along and wants to eat the hay, and the dog just barks and growls and keeps the cow away from the manger. Well, the dog can't eat the hay. The dog ain't doing anything with the hay. The dog just has the mentality that, hey, I was here first. So the dog's not doing any good, but rather is in the way and keeping some good coming out of that manger. And it's the same way churches are filled with this. That people are like, well, this is my ministry. They take possession of it. And people go, well, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I've said this before. What are your toes doing in there to begin with? Get your toes out of the way and get your heart in there. Get your heart in there and realize that, hey, what I'm doing, I'm not doing it for my church. I'm not doing it for my preacher. I'm doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're serving him and the Lord comes along or the pastor comes along and says, hey, let's just, let's, let's tweak, let's move this 
You, I think that you would serve better in this ministry or let's move this around. Hey, if this is making you uncomfortable, I have no hidden agenda in this principle. Not think of, of anything or anyone. I know preachers that do that. I'm just simply trying to say that there is a principle. If you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing in your job, then let somebody that will and can, that wants to do it, let them do it. Don't be that dog in the manger. Take ownership, but don't be possessive. Don't lose your servant's heart. And if you have, then get it back. Remember why you're doing what you're doing and who you're doing it for. And don't ever think that you're the only one that can do something. Never be afraid of someone who might be able to do it better. Just do your best and invest. That's what Paul's saying here in 2 Timothy 2.2. Do your best, Timothy, and then invest. Commit that to other faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Have you ever known of any churches in our community that the pastor had been there for 30, 40, 50 years and gotten old, and by the time that that pastor retires or dies, that church is gone? I mean, maybe there's a handful of people left, but they don't have anything that, uh, as far as reaching people, children's ministry, and so forth. What happened along the way, I guarantee you, was people got possessive and they started doing what they're doing for their benefit and not for God's benefit and the whole thing. The church is the body of Christ and there are many churches that just that body ages and goes right into the nursing home and then dies and there's nothing left. I don't believe that's the way church should be. I believe that the church, we should constantly be pouring ourselves into other people. Wanting, if, if you look at how we do things around here, we don't just have one person doing one thing. We try to encourage to have a teamwork of people. Someone who has been doing it with some experience and then someone who is coming along and learning and growing. And that's what makes a healthy church. The things that are learned are being perpetuated toward other people. Number three, number three. Now, I realize that this verse is prior to verse number nine. I understand that, but it just didn't fit in my sermon the way I wanted it to. So we're gonna back up now to verse number eight of Philippians chapter four, and we're gonna talk about positive things. And uh, don't, don't get uncomfortable with me. I'm not going to smile and blink while I talk about this, okay? Some of you know what I'm saying. Verse number 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things, positive things. Listen, please get this point, because this is scriptural. This isn't psychological. This isn't my opinion. This is God's word. Thoughts and feelings are the molds of our character. If you've ever used a mold for anything, 
I know some of you have done crafts, some of you have worked in shops or plants where you have different molds and you put something in that mold. Maybe the mold is a pressure mold where uh, you, you press something in. You know, a cookie cutter is like a mold. There's a lot of different kinds of molds, but thoughts and feelings are the molds of our character. Proverbs 23, verse number 7 For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. You can't think negative thoughts all the time and not be a negative person. You can't be critical all the time and not become cynical or a critical person. Now, I have heard many, many people say this. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. No, you're delusional. We live in a sin-cursed world. Most around us is negative, right? Any, any fool can be a realist, right? Do you think that that's what God's telling us in verse number 8 of our text, that we're supposed to be realists? No, he says you're supposed to find some things that are pure and lovely and good report and virtue and honest and praise, you're supposed to find that. I know it's not always easy to find, but if you look, if you really want to find something, you'll find it. You know, I, my uh, daughter-in-law told me just yesterday, she said, don't lose your car key, because I had to go in the house and get the key to my Honda. You know why that is, is because the last time we visited them, we had stopped at a restaurant in downtown Weaverville, and then we went, we went to and spent the night with Josh and her. And so when I got there to the house, I'm like, where's my car key? It was gone. Now, we didn't drive my car. We were in Josh's truck. And so it's like, well, what happened? And so I retraced in my mind everywhere that I went, and it's just like, I, I can't find it anywhere It wasn't in the truck. I looked under the seat. I looked everywhere. Maybe it fell out when I was getting in the truck. The next day, we went back to the restaurant, and where he had parked across the street, this is right in downtown, I'm looking over there in the gutter by where I had gotten out of the truck, nothing. I didn't see it. Oh, no. Oh, no. And then I take a few more steps, and there was some stairs that went up to a home and on that concrete, on that first step, sitting right there, was this very key. Somebody had seen it either on the sidewalk or the gutter and had set it right over there, assuming that the idiot that lost it would be coming back looking for it. And they were so right. I mean, I saw that there and I'll tell you what I said. I said, Oh, praise the Lord. But you know what? If I would have given up and not went back and looked, I'd have never found it. If you want to find something bad enough, you'll find it. And if you're looking for some things that are honest and pure and virtue and all of the things that the Lord says, think on these things. Find it and then just start dwelling on it. Find that encouragement, and you know what that will do? That will mold you 
that'll mold your feelings, that'll mold your character in being a little more upbeat and positive. Romans 14, verse number 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Listen, I'm not talking, and I don't believe Paul's talking about this ostrich mentality of sticking your head in the sand. There are negative things around, and I know when we are in positions of responsibility, you, we have to deal with the negative. We can't just uh, have this Mary Poppins attitude that, oh, everything's wonderful. There are things that aren't wonderful. We all know that. What the Lord is saying is don't let that be your obsession. Everyone that is critical of others is not necessarily arrogant. I think this is a pretty profound statement, if I'd, even if I came up with it myself, all right? Everyone that is critical of others is not arrogant. Some are simply frustrated with themselves. They can't seem to fix their own problems, so they project that negativity on everything around them. It's not like they're thinking that they're better. They're just frustrated inside. You ever been frustrated? Not long ago, I got frustrated. We're in McDonald's drive-thru. And you know how now they have two lanes. You know, you go, and, and when you get, after you give your order, everybody knows that you just, you take turns, right? Well, this guy on the outside lane, I'm here in the inside lane waiting, and I was here there first, it was obvious He's on the outside, and I know he's really, he's really close to the bumper of the car in front of me. And I'm already thinking, you know what? He's not going to take turns. And as soon as the car in front of him started to pull forward, guess what he did? Oh, he pulled right before. And I'm like, oh, it, it, it really made me angry. And it wasn't because I love McDonald's food. I'm like, it flew all over me. And especially, so I'm not a horn honker, okay? But I honk my horn. I honk my horn, and he gave me this arrogant, flippant look. True story. Oh, back in the day. You remember the days when you couldn't get away with that because somebody would beat the tar out of you? I know, we're not in those days anymore, but I was reliving them in my mind. <laughs> Fortunately, I had a godly Christian woman sitting next to me that talked some sense into me. Man, it just flew all over me. And, I, you know, it, she was just kind of like, whoa, where'd that come from? Well, I'll tell you where it came from. I, I was already, I had things in life that, I had frustration built up and that little teeny tiny thing, just all this pressure that was inside, that little teeny tiny thing just kind of cracked the little, little bit, kind of like when you shake up a two liter pop, drink, soda, whatever culture you're from, you just have to crack it a little bit and the pressure goes 
that's where I was. I was frustrated with myself and I just ended up projecting it on the person who crossed me. My last point, and I've got to hurry. Number four, go to Zechariah chapter number four. You've heard sermons on this, no doubt. And I had this marked. Yeah. All right. I lost my marker, but fortunately I turned right to it. Because Zechariah, you know, the kids are memorizing all of the books of the Bible. You know, sometimes us adults, Malachi, Haggai, Habakkuk, we kind of know generally where they are, but anyhow, I turned right to it. Zechariah 4, verse number 10 says, For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Sermons have been preached on this that expound on what that's talking about. Zerubbabel and the plummet and and these seven things. I don't have time to get into all of that here this morning. But that one phrase says, Who hath despised the day of small things? God speaking about the rebuilding of the temple. And that rebuilding of the temple was not perfect. It wasn't as good as the old one. But God says, don't despise it. I remember in the New Testament how that Jesus Christ himself commended the unjust steward for doing the best he could in an unwinnable situation. Even though he had to cheat to do it. Jesus wasn't condoning cheating. But he was saying that, hey, look, you're looking for the perfect and it's never going to happen. At least this unjust steward said, hey, this is a lousy situation. What can I do to make the best of it? And that's what we need to do. Not despise the day of small things. The world is telling you to follow your dreams and dream big. Jesus says, follow me. Nowhere does the Bible say, follow your dreams. Jesus says, follow me. William Carey, the father of modern missions, made a statement. You've heard it before. He said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. That's a great statement. That's motivational. Man, I've been motivated by William Carey's quote. But you know, he also said this. He said, I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this, I owe everything. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. That's where we ought to be, folks. Not just afraid of failure, but afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Don't despise the small things. God said to Jeremiah, In Jeremiah 33, 3, he said, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. It's a great memory verse, and it's so true. But I remind you that he also, and this is God speaking to Jeremiah's helper, his servant Baruch, and he said in Jeremiah 45, 5, to Baruch, he said, And seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. 
For behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord, but thy life will I give unto thee for a prey in all places whither thou goest. Listen, you believe we're in the last days? You believe that the Lord, the Lord's got to be coming back soon. You know what we're doing though? We're despising the day of small things. We're looking like Baruch. It's like, you know what? We've got to accomplish some great thing for God. We've got to build a mega church. We've got to get our name known. And God's saying, look, there's some hard times that are getting ready to come. Tell Baruch, quit seeking great things for yourself. You're just going to end up frustrated because things are getting ready to fall apart. Just be faithful and I'll take care of you in the land of captivity. Now, that's not a prophecy of what's going to happen in 2024. I don't know. It's, a, it's not a prophecy, it's a principle. And oftentimes we think that, oh, I've got to follow my dreams and I've got to dream big. And you know what God is saying all along? He's saying, just be faithful. Just hang in there. Do what you can. And God will bless it in ways that you, can't, you and I cannot even quantify. Song of Solomon Chapter 2, verse 15 says, Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. You know what? Sometimes you, you spend too much time thinking about those big things in your life, but it's the little things that are eating away at your fruitfulness. And sometimes if you'll just be faithful in the little things, then the big things will take care of themselves. So... You want some things that bring more in 2024? Well, number one, leave some things behind. Leave it in the past. Number two, things that are learned. Learn from them. Invest in other people. Do something about what you hear and what you learn. Number three, positive things. Don't let your heart and your mind and your feelings swim around and all of the garbage around us, because we're living in a culture that's full of garbage. Like I said, you can't even go to McDonald's without risking ending up in jail. <laughs> I, we, I was lamenting on that too. You remember the day? Remember the day when two men could get mad at each other and just someone, one of them beat the tar out of the other and nobody ends up in jail? Right. Don't get me wrong. I'm not promoting violence here. I'm just saying that used to be easier. <laughs> and then the small things. If you want more, you're going to have to stop despising the small things and just value faithfulness. I, I, there's some people, Sister Dot TV Paw, what a blessing she is, just faithful. That's what God's looking for right there. There's big name preachers. I know this without any shadow of doubt in my heart. There are big name preachers that you know their name and if I mention them, but at the judgment seat of Christ, they're gonna, they're gonna be taking a, a back seat and people like Sister Dot are gonna be up there and the Lord's gonna be saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. As I close, the devil uses many things to hinder God's work and God's people. Things such as moral failure, compromise, worldliness, etc. 
Perhaps the greatest hindrance is when the half-hearted are content and the faithful are frustrated. When the half-hearted are content and the faithful are frustrated. Paul said in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But he also said in Philippians 4.11, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You know what? If you're half-hearted and you're just giving everything for God a lick and a promise... You need to stop being so content in your mediocrity and you need to start pressing. And if you've been pressing and you've been trying and it just seems like I'm just failing, I can't seem to reach perfection, I can't seem to attain. Paul himself said, I haven't attained. I haven't reached that perfection. I have not apprehended. I have not even come close, Paul says, but he said, I'm going to keep pressing onward and in the areas of life that are imperfect, that I can't fix and that I can't change, I'm just going to learn how to be content and let God be God. Paul was pressing, Paul was striving, but he had learned how to trust God and be content in that process. So reach out for more in 2024, but do it by faith not by self-determination.